Welcome to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Hear from the experts, including media covering upcoming opponents in the ACC, former Georgia Tech letter winners, and the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network crew. Now, here's your host, Wiley Ballard. And hello again, everyone. We are back in town, Georgia Tech football, hosting the Duke Blue Devils homecoming on the Flats, a 12-20 kick. We've got a lot in store for you this week. We'll be visited by Tim Byerly shortly, former Yellow Jacket letter winner, and also catch up with Andy Demetra and Sean Bedford, the IMG Sports Network crew. But to kick things off this week, we've got the Duke Blue Devils beat writer for the News and Observer up in North Carolina. That'd be Steve Wiseman. Uh, Steve, thanks for joining us. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me on, Wiley. No problem. And uh, obviously you've been on the Duke beat uh, for a good while now, made plenty of trips down to Bobby Dodd, I'm sure. Um, before we get to the series history, though, can you tell me a little bit about this Duke team entering the 2018 game? Last year, Duke was on a six-game losing streak and was able to turn their season around with a win against Georgia Tech. And since then, they won six more in a row going into this year before losing to Virginia Tech a couple weeks ago. What's going so much uh, better for Duke now than what we had last time Duke and Georgia Tech squared off. Yeah, first of all, first of all um, you know, the defense, they have a veteran defense. Uh, Joe Giles Harris and uh, Ben Humphreys, the linebackers, have this is their third year starting together. And uh, Duke is, is really much better up front, their front four. They've recruited uh, at a higher level the last two or three years than they had Previously, in a long, long time, along, along the defensive front, a lot of that's due to Ben Albert, uh, the defensive line coach who came down from Boston College a couple of years ago. That's made their their team a whole lot better as the way their defense is playing. Speaking of the defense, Duke has had a lot of success uh, in their three wins last four years against Tech, and in those three wins, they've held Georgia Tech below 300 rushing yards. Of course, the Jackets uh, near the top of the nation in rushing yards this year. In those wins, it's been usually one individual. Who, who has had a monster game for Duke defensively. You can think of Jeremy Cash back in 2015 or Joe Giles Harris last year. Why have those guys been so impactful, and, and would you expect uh, Giles Harris to be the bell cow for them defensively this year? I would expect him to be to be that. To, I mean, uh, since they played right at the end of last year and he played so well, uh, he's a you know, first-team All-ACC uh, linebacker, and uh, this is the kind of challenge he, he kind of welcomes. And, and what it is is, you know, Duke plays – not only Georgia Tech every year on the Coastal Division, they play Army just about every year, and then they played Navy a couple times here this decade. So they get a lot of experience against the triple option, even though it's different teams. Um, they have a little bit different wrinkles to it, but they have so much comfort level with playing against it. That doesn't mean they're going to be successful every time, but, but it gives them an advantage over a team like, let's say, you know Louisville last week who – doesn't see Georgia Tech every year. They, they play them in crossovers once every once in eight years or whatever. Now in the ACC, so uh, <laughs> that 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 gives Duke, you know, a, a little bit of an edge when it comes to playing Georgia Tech. Avenged uh, that loss to Army earlier this season, trying to get another win over Georgia Tech. Let's talk about that Virginia Tech game. But two weeks ago, Duke coming off their bye week. Daniel Jones, quarterback for Duke, who started every game for Duke in 16 and 17, he went down with a broken collarbone on September 8th, and he was starting 20 days later. How, how does that happen? How is he back under center just three weeks removed from a broken collarbone? Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing, and and. One thing is that it, it, it was the non-throwing shoulder. That that made a huge difference for him. But uh, they were really aggressive with it. They went in there and 
put in a plate and screws to, to hold the bone together. So even if it gets hit there, it's not going to break again because there's metal. You know, it's like almost bionic, I guess, in that frame. But uh, that helps. Um, number two is, and uh, there's a couple of Duke walk-on football players who are engineering students, and they work with 3D printers, and they, they made this pad that, that goes beneath his shoulder pad between that and, his, and the bone to help protect it a little more. They came up with it in class. So they said, hey, let's do this. And they, they customized, fit it to his, you know, his, his anatomy there. And it gives him a little extra protection so that, you know, it, it you know, absorbs the, when he gets hit there or if he lands on the ground there. It gives him a little more confidence to fall on that shoulder and not be so worried about it. So a couple of things going on there, uh, some advanced technology, I guess, that, you know, schools like Duke and Georgia Tech have advantage, right, the engineering students. And uh, we're going to see if it, if it helps them out the rest of the year here. You took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, I'm not sure how many other matchups would include uh, uh, two schools with stronger innovative backgrounds, engineering backgrounds than Duke and Georgia Tech. But uh, as far as the eye test is concerned, did he look like a guy on a Friday night a couple weeks ago that was coming off a collarbone injury? I mean, how comfortable did he look in his first start back? He looked like, like nothing had happened. I mean, he, he, he moved around well. He, he was under pressure a lot, and that's a problem with the offensive line of Duke that, that Virginia Tech was able to get a lot of pressure on Daniel. And, and uh, you know, he was throwing under pressure and throwing with, with guys hanging off him sometimes. And, uh, you know, he looked, he looked just as accurate as he'd been previously. Some of his receivers, some balls hit off their hands that could have been deep plays that could have changed the game. So Daniel Jones was not the reason they lost that game. In fact, I think if he hadn't been there, it may have, it could be worse than 31 to 14 or would have been even more lopsided. He, he clearly looked just as strong as he did before he got hurt. Well, Duke has won seven of their last eight games, four and one so far in 2018. The Jackets, meanwhile, three and three. They've won back-to-back contests, putting up 60 points in each. And anything that we haven't touched on, any items you think that are worth discussing when it comes to this matchup? Well, one thing is, uh, you know, Duke it, it was kind of beat up. They had some, some starting defensive players. Edgar Serenoid, a defense tackle, and Michael Carter, a cornerback, who didn't play in the last couple of weeks due to injuries. And having this off week coming into the Georgia Tech game, I would expect to see them back on the field, and that should help them out. You know, they lost Mark Gilbert, who was an all-ACC corner, and uh, Mark's obviously not going to play again this year. And so that was a huge loss. That makes him very young at cornerback. Uh, Josh Blackwell, Richard Freshman, is the other starting corner. So I know Georgia Tech doesn't throw it very much, but when they do, they're usually pretty effective because they catch people off guard. And with some young guys playing at corner, that's something to watch for in this game too. Well, we certainly will do that, Steve. Thanks again. Have a uh, safe trip uh, from Durham down I-85 to Atlanta. Look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Okay, very good. Thanks. I look forward to it. Sounds good. Thanks, Steve. Again, a 12-20 kick, Georgia Tech and Duke. When we come back, we'll be joined by a Yellow Jacket letter winner who had a uh, Pretty big game against Duke back in his playing days. That's up on the other side of this break. This is the Front of the Flats podcast. Byerly still under center. Can the Jackets get in this time? Takes a snap. Follow play. Byerly spins and is in. He had two rushing touchdowns last week at Tulane. Chalk up another one for Byerly here. And Tech is back up two scores. And we're now joined by former Yellow Jacket quarterback Tim Byerly in our letter winners segment. Uh, touchdown Timmy, as, as some referred to him, uh, myself included. And, uh, Tim, it's, it's a thrill to have you here, member of the uh, 2014 Orange Bowl team, uh, as well as uh, picking up uh, 11 wins that season. So uh, a lot of great stories. We'll get into those shortly. But first, uh, can you let the rest of the Tech fans know what you're up to now? Uh, Closing in on four years removed from uh, that New Year's Eve victory over Mississippi State. Hey, Wiley. 
Appreciate you having me. Uh, way to make me feel old as I'm <laughs> don't even realize that I'm four years out yet, but um, nonetheless, I'm still based in Atlanta um, and working for an investment firm here based in Atlanta. Um, and so I'm on the sales side. So I'm traveling every single week talk, talking to prospective investors um, about you know, all of our various uh, investment strategies. So very much a client facing role in tune to the to the markets and uh you know trying to make the days pay how often do you and your teammates reminisce about that 2014 season <laughs> well uh pretty much as often as we see each other which now we're, we're in the phase of obviously everybody getting married and whatnot so that's kind of the the given point in time of when everybody kind of gets together but um, i'm coaching a little 11 year old football team out of chastain park with matt connors who played v-back with me while I was there at Tech and every single practice, whether it's, we'll have little nuances that he'll try to act like Coach Johnson and some of the old sayings that he would say. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's fun. So I, I live that on a daily basis. Can you, can you give me a, a, an impersonation of Matt Connors impersonating Coach Johnson? Uh, uh, you're putting me on the spot here. And uh, it, it, it's college football, man. They're, every college football coach has their sayings and stuff. And, you know, it, it's, it's funny. We'll have a little 11 year old kid not make the tackle or just completely go the wrong way. And Matt and I will look at each other. It's like, man, we even did that when we were, you know, 22 years old and it's, it's, it's football, man. It's, it's, it's fun. And every coach is, has their own sayings. Was there a moment or a game where you guys knew this team is going to be pretty good? Um, you know, it's funny because that 2014 season, those first four five or six games, we didn't win by a large margin. You know, we, we started off, we played Wofford. Uh, you know, we beat them, I think, maybe by a touchdown. Um, you know, we were, we took care of Georgia Southern for about two and a half, three quarters, and all of a sudden we had to make a big play on, uh, you know, pretty much the last play of the, of the entire game just to, to, to get out of that game. Um, but, you know, you look back on it, and those moments are what really instilled the faith and confidence that somebody was going to make a big play, no matter who it was. You know, we weren't looking for one specific person to make a play every game. Uh, it was kind of everybody contributing. And obviously my role was particularly as a short yardage or goal line guy. Um, you kind of had to be ready at all times. And you know, a lot of times I, I never knew if I was going in. Coach Johnson would point to me. He's like, all right, you're in. You know the play. You're in. See ya. You know, and it was just kind of like, oh, all right, casual. Um you know, but but those those moments always stick with me. Where it, you know, any point in time, your number could be called, and you, you know, whether it's in the professional world or the athletic world, you you always have to be prepared for for anything. What was it like though, having to be ready at a moment's notice? I know we've seen some of that uh, with Tobias Oliver this year, whether it's Taquan having to come out due to injury, or Coach Johnson just wanted to, you know, get another guy some reps. What's it like having to come in off the sideline, relatively cold? Cold is definitely a good way to put it. You're getting called at, and it's never the time that you expect it. Uh, you know, Taquan's helmet could come off at any point in time, and Tobias has to be there ready. And to continue to complement Taquan's game, you know, that's going to be his his way of seeing more reps. Uh, and that was my way of seeing more reps, was being able to complement um, JT. JT was, you know, 5'10", 170 pounds, soaking wet, but he could run a 4'3", and he can make people miss. I... There is no gene in my body that could ever be transformed to, to make that you know, part of my repertoire whatsoever. But I knew that I could endure a little bit more hits than he could. And I, I was probably a little bit of a better runner north and south um, in the triple option. You absolutely have to be able to do that. 
Before we let you go, I'm curious. I know a lot of folks will sit here and say, okay, Bowling Green is certainly not the stiffest competition Georgia Tech's going to face this year in Louisville, a team that is not familiar with the triple option. But independent of the opponent that Tech has faced the last two weeks, did you do you sense or do you see a, a change offensively to to a more efficient and a more um, threatening offensive attack for Tech? Are they looking like they're more in sync? Uh, definitely more so in sync. And I think that's what you, the result that you got at Bowling Green and the result that you got at Louisville is exactly what you're looking for in a, in a team that's trying to turn things around. Um, you know, and I think it's it's important to note that people forget that in the triple option, it's no different than every other offense. Every single play is designed to be a touchdown. It just comes down to execution. And I think triple option is one of those offenses out there that it truly takes 11 players, no matter the talent level, it takes 11 players to do their assignment, do their role every single play. Um, and I think that's what I thoroughly enjoyed about it. It truly was the biggest team-oriented offense out there, in my opinion. Um, and I think those guys are, are, are on that trajectory right now. And hopefully with, with Duke and the remaining of the ACC games coming up, that they can be full throttle when they step on the field. Well, Timmy, thanks for the time, man. I appreciate it. And uh, we hope to have you back on the flats here uh, this weekend if you make it out to go see uh, Homecoming and Duke and Georgia Tech. You bet, Wiley. Thanks for having me. Thanks again, Timmy. That's Tim Byerly, uh, former letter winner for the Jackets, part of that Orange Bowl championship team and uh, a big contributor over his uh, four years at Georgia Tech. Uh, up next, we've got Andy Demetra and Sean Bedford breaking down this week's matchup, Duke and Georgia Tech, twelve twenty kick on Saturday. This is the From the Flats podcast. First and 10 from the 12. A throw to the end zone. Intercepted down the right sideline. Jackets might take this to the house. 45-50. See ya. 35-30. 25 15-10-5. Thomas. He gets his pick, and he turns it into six. And that was a 95-yard pick six from Wanye Thomas. The exclamation point on an emphatic performance from Georgia Tech football this past Friday in Louisville, Kentucky. We're now joined by the men who called the game from start to finish, including a glorious fourth quarter in which Tech could put their feet up relax. And, uh, Sean, Andy, I think you guys enjoyed that one a lot, didn't you? Oh, we absolutely did. Anytime you see the option working as well as it did and just the offense moving so smoothly down the field it's a joy to watch especially for somebody who played in this offense and knows what it's supposed to look like um in case you're wondering that what we saw last friday is exactly what it's supposed to look like and what i learned sean is that the more points that your team scores the better the better everybody thinks you sound as a broadcaster so <laughs> i was not going to stand in the way of as many points as georgia tech wanted to score at cardinal stadium that night well, with that in mind, guys, again, 66 points, pretty good night for Tech's offense. I posed this question to Tim Byerly earlier in the episode. How much of Georgia Tech's recent success offensively is due to figuring things out in their own locker room and in their own sideline compared to playing a Bowling Green team that struggled this year and, of course, Louisville uh, reeling a little bit as well? I think it had a lot to do with it, and, and I think it, it was much more an issue of Tech figuring out what it wants to do, what it has to do, and getting back to the basics than, than it had to do with the opponent. And certainly you always have to consider who the opponent is when you evaluate a performance. But what I've seen the last couple of weeks has been a Tech team that is focused on executing its assignments, making the right reads, hitting its blocks, and, and not really letting the moment be too big for it. I think um, 
we haven't seen nearly as many mistakes that we saw in some of these early games. The ball hasn't been on the ground. There have been far fewer penalties. And everything has just operated so much more smoothly. But I think that's due in large part to the way Tech has performed, not necessarily who they were going up against. Yeah, I think that's what's encouraging is you're seeing a Christmas of execution that carries over no matter the opponent. And I think what Georgia Tech has realized is it's better to do fewer things well than more things erratically. And scaling some things down, which therefore gives you more confidence and more repetition in executing the right things the right way, I think Georgia Tech has been able to reap the benefits not only with getting positive yardage on a lot of plays, but as you mentioned, Sean, not putting the ball on the ground. Well, for Tech's defense last week, a couple sacks, three turnovers, a quarterback hurry from seven different players. What's the most encouraging part of their performance right now? Obviously, getting that stop to start the game on fourth and one was pivotal to catapulting Georgia Tech into that offensive explosion. What have you guys liked the most from Tech's defense recently? Pressure and turnovers. Um, you know, Tech's defense has been a little spotty at times, um, particularly even in the last game when it seemed like Tech was in control of that game for almost the, the entire 60 minutes of it. But at the same time, it, it didn't seem like the defense really clamped down. There were still some some situations where they need to improve on their tackling, but the fact that they were able to get creative with their blitzes and generate pressure, uh, which ultimately led to a lot of those turnovers, um, that was very encouraging to me. I agree. I think it's the takeaways. And here we are, guys, 13 turnovers forced by Georgia Tech, which surpasses their total from all of last season, to go from 124th nationally in forced turnovers last year to tied for seventh right now. Now, Duke is not going to necessarily cooperate in that regard because they've only turned it over three times this year, which is among the lowest totals nationally. But what I like is that this team is flying around. They're rallying to the ball. Are they making mistakes? Sure. And let's not forget that there are a lot of relatively inexperienced guys in the defensive backfield. Um, and while, yeah, they need to have better stops on third downs, especially because they're doing the work on first and second down, it seems. But as Paul Johnson has said, turnovers can be almost as good, if not better, than punts. And, and they're at least covering for themselves by getting those takeaways. I feel like that takeaway attitude has been contagious, and Georgia Tech has reaped the results. And speaking of the third down numbers, and Andy, I know you mentioned Duke hasn't turned it over a whole lot, but they themselves offensively have not had a lot of success in continuing drives by converting third downs. And so with that in mind, Daniel Jones, who missed some time uh, with the broken collarbone, he's back. And Duke coming off a loss against Virginia Tech, which they've had to sit on for a couple of weeks now thanks to their bye. What do you guys make of this team for Duke? Four and one, and they've won seven of their last eight games dating back to last year. Well, I'll start with you, Wiley. I, I think what stands out when I'm putting together my charts is how many guys from the two deep last year are still on the two deep this year. Duke returned a lot of veterans on both sides of the ball. And let's begin with Daniel Jones, 70% completion percentage. He's one of eight quarterbacks in the FBS, completing better than 70% of his passes. You look at the company he shares, it's a lot of marquee names in college football. Tua Tungavaloa, Will Greer, Jake Fromm, Kyler Murray. This is a legit quarterback, 6'5", 220. Uh, they've got a lot of weapons, guys who have had multiple years starting. Britton Brown is a cutback artist in that Duke backfield. And then defensively, they've got some really physical linebackers. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better one-two combination of linebacker than Joe Giles-Harris and Ben Humphreys. Those guys each multiple-year starters. Uh, they've got returners on the defensive line. 
Uh, they've had to go through some changes in their defensive backfield because of injury. Mark Gilbert, who is a unanimous preseason first-team All-ACC pick, but they seem to have you know, remedied that and have so many veterans in that front seven to help shore up the back four. Uh, there's no secret why Duke is sitting here at 4-1 and one, uh, and coming off a bye. Uh, they've got a lot of veterans back and a lot of savvy guys who started to taste that success at the end of last season, and it's carried over into 2018. Yeah, they're an experienced team, and beyond just having experience in games, they have experience defending the option on defense, and that was one of the things that jumped out to me was that this is a, a Duke defense that really doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but they're, they're very disciplined. They're going to stay in their lanes. And I think there's going to be some contrast to the way that Louisville played defense against Tech last week because that was Louisville in a short week. Now Duke will have a bye coming into this week. And, but what jumps out to me is that they're going to get creative with how they defend it. They're going to stay in their lanes, but they're also going to charge the mesh point um, on some of those triple option plays to get a defender in there before Taquan Marshall can get comfortable. Uh, they're not going to make a lot of mistakes offensively either. Daniel Jones is going to go out and complete a lot of short passes. They're going to try to spread you out and run the ball with Britton Brown. But I don't know that they're going to take a whole lot of shots deep. They're going to rely on their guys to break tackles and get down the field. And so in some respects, it, may, it reminds me a little bit of the USF offense. And hopefully the Jackets will have a little bit more success defending that. Well, Tech fans, Andy and Sean have given you plenty to digest before that homecoming tailgate on a Saturday morning. Guys will be on the air at 10 a.m. with the Rim and Rick kickoff show, getting you set for kickoff at 12.20 when Toe meets Leather. And let's see if we can make it three in a row, right? Let's do it. I would not object to that, Wiley. <laughs> all right, so we're all in agreement. Jackets go for the fourth one of the season, getting to 500 ACC play. Andy, Sean, thanks again, and that'll do it for this week's episode. We'll talk to everyone soon. You've been listening to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Be sure to tune into the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network on game day for live coverage, and subscribe to this channel to get the latest news on the Yellow Jackets.